Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime and suspense novels. Each week we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Hello. Hello, and welcome again to the Hobcast Book Show, show number 51. And if we haven't uh, already reached you this year, Happy New Year. Just Happy to, New Year, Yeah, yes. and to repeat that, but that's it for Happy New Year's, I think, you know, it's getting... Well, it's funny, isn't it? It's a, it's a week, but it seems... More than a week to me since... Yeah, it does. You're right. It does feel more more than a week. I, I wished a couple of people Happy New Year over the weekend and they just sort of stared at me. Yeah, like, yeah, why? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all a bit too late. So, until the Chinese New Year, Happy New Year. Uh, and that's it from us. Now, <laughs> this week on the Hobcast Book Show, we are speaking to one of the success stories of the indie scene. Very recent success, in fact. Daniel Hurst, who's a writer of psychological fiction from the UK, in fact, from Bolton. And he's done extremely well. He's thrown his entire life in behind his writing career and it even employs his wife now to work with him. And uh, it's a story of graft, passion, hard work, a little bit of luck, all sorts of things. But basically, he has succeeded in the indie publishing game. And I think one thing that struck me was his modest, his modesty yes. about it. Yes, he He's not on Twitter. He... I don't think he does a massive amount of social media. Um, he engages with his readers on a very personal level, but he just writes because he has all these ideas in his head. He loves to write. It's his dream. He just does it, and he, he's just had success. He's, he just takes everything as it comes, doesn't he? Yeah, and what's revealed is he's also he releases quickly, and there is a theme emerging. I mean, several of the people we've spoken to have done really well recently in the last two, three years have released books incredibly regularly mm, because if readers fall in love with you they want more and that, more and absolutely, more <laughs> absolutely so maybe there's a there's a there's a secret there but anyway <laughs> uh, it's lovely to speak to daniel and uh he's a fellow man united fan so that's yeah so terrific. we did talk about football we did it's, it's only brief don't switch off don't switch off that's coming up later but let's introduce ourselves as we customarily do uh, we are hobet books my name is adrian hobart and my name is Rebecca Collins. Together we run the company which publishes the following genres. Thrillers. Crime. Suspense. And what's the other one? Mystery. Oh yeah, mysteries. I've just been to the northeast and that was a really bad northeast accent. I'm also extremely tired because driving up to Newcastle and back is not for the faint-hearted in in iffy weather and in my car as opposed to your lovely <laughs> new skoda <laughs> yeah. uh there's a tale there the skoda has decided to ha have the alternator pack up and being the new year um no one can see it for about a month no. so we're down to one set of wheels at the moment yes and we're, and we're also as always um restricted by two times of the day where we have to ferry children to and from school so or, or indeed the cat to the vet this week 
for her MOT. Yes, I'd like to reassure everybody who um, follows um, the antics of our cat. She had her annual MOT this week and she passed. Although her undercarriage is a little heavier than it should be. so It's enormous. <laughs> yes, but whose fault is that, do you oh, think? Well, look, she's, she's an elderly cat. It's fluid retention. <laughs> I mean, you know, she's... She's a sort of she's got childbearing hips. I don't know. Yeah, she's a little little tubby. Yeah, so but... we we just need to be a little bit more um, strict oh. in her. <laughs> As if that's resisting happen. her bleats. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Well, you know, let's put earplugs in and we, we can probably manage it. Well, it's been um, it's been a really really busy week, and uh, we've you know we've been writing. Uh, we've started a new project, which we mentioned in our show last week when we were in Oxford, and that is that we're keeping a diary both of us, uh, of the year that we're in. It's the year, so the year 2022. And it encompasses running the business and you know, personal stuff. I mean, it's it's warts and all, really. As yeah, ever. I think it's anything goes. Yeah, it's whatever basically gets into our head whenever we sit down to write. And we write independent entries. You're from Venus, I'm from Mars. <laughs> uh, you'll get the, th- the, the thing of it. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's been really useful because it allows us somewhere to whinge to some extent let off some pressure but also i think to when we reflect back on it in you know several months time when we start look back at entries that we wrote this week it'll give us an indication of how far we've come i think we've worked this week um with a renewed i think ferocity is the word i would use certainly from my mindset i think you, you you've always been busy but i think i'm i'm really focused this this starting this new year to um shift things certain aspects of the business mm. in the right direction no, sales principally but um you know there's a number of things that i think i could do more effectively and better and i think it's also this question that a lot of people are thinking about you know what is 2022 going to look like in the publishing world and we're going to talk about this in a moment in, in our news section but what are the trends what are the things that you know we should focus on more and what are the things we should do less of mm. Um, you know, because it's always changing. And I think that there's plenty of stuff out there at the moment of people sort of predicting what's, what the new year is going to be looking like and what's going to change. But, we, you know, they would have done that, uh, let's say, the start of 2020, and no one saw the pandemic. No. So, it's funny, is it? It's part of human nature, isn't it, to feel like you have the ability to predict and foresee trends and how things change. But like you say... There are some things you really cannot predict and you, you know, you get surprised by things. So it'll be interesting, actually, to sort of compare what people are saying right now about 2022. And at the end of the year, when we finished our um, project, mm. how how much of that actually happened? Or, yeah, absolutely. Or any new things that have come that come along that nobody knew about or predicted? Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, let's get it. Well, we've, we've talked about it now. Let's let's get into some of the predictions that have been been out there the uh, number of things you've got a lot of printouts there yes um so uh, it's quite a common thing for various publications and newsletters to do at this time of year you know predicted trends in publishing or whatever industry it is i'm yeah. sure all industries do it so uh, one of our authors kindly uh, forwarded a list to me and and to you actually um and i i read it and it was it was very interesting you know um but so some of the things are quite I would say quite predictable predictions, if you can have that. Like, um, 
so the sort of idea of embracing next generation technology. I mean, a lot of podcasts have talked about this, haven't they? The non fungible tokens. Yes, the lovely NFTs. Yeah, so, um, you know, um, what's it called? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't remember now. Um, yeah, I mean the. Uh, blockchain that's what I'm looking oh, for yeah, that's yeah. the phrase I don't know what it means no <laughs> um, to be perfectly honest there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff we talked about the AI trend in, in yeah. narration so and that's another one that they're, they're predicting will grow and will develop uh, well look I think it's become you know, more sophisticated yeah look if you want something that is just going to do as cheaply as possible interpret the, what the words are and get it into something that sounds like audio then I, AI can do that what it can't do is you know, create the emotional connection that an, that a, a narrator can mm. if they're doing the job well. And I've been working. I mean, we've we've just uploaded um, Malcolm Hollingdrake's Catch as Catch Can, uh, which is coming out at the end of the month uh, in audio. And I'm working on Mark Whiteman's Waking the Tiger. And working on those two projects. Um, you know, we just had released the Genesis Inquiry as well from Ollie Jarvis. Um, listening to them and. After a few weeks, you know, some of these things I've recorded a few weeks ago and I'm, I'm getting around to the edit now. Just listening to the work I've, I've obviously put in, uh, which I've forgotten, to create characters, to really, uh, a lot of them, not so much mistakes, but the bits where I've, I've stopped and done it again is to really get the emotional uh, message across, to mm. get the, you know, what, in Mark's case, he intended Betancourt to sound like. Inspector Bessencourt in his his book uh, to sound like in in conjunction with um, with the doctor doing the autopsy or something like that, which he you know spoiler alert uh, eventually develops some something of a relationship with, and and trying to get that dynamic you know that sort of as they they sort of balance between being professional mm. and uh, just a hint that they might like each other. Well, it's interesting you talk about this because um, another sort of predict the future um, article I read was in the bookseller and in the bookseller they asked um, a number of um, CEOs of different companies, publishers and um, associations and all sorts of things what their predictions were for the future and um, the uh, person they spoke to from FW Howes was talking about WF Howes WF Howes and FW Howes he was talking about um, how audio might actually become sort of more towards uh, not acting exactly but more varied in delivery yes i mean there's there's lots of efforts to move towards full cast yes productions which goes against the ai trend oh it does i mean that's an added value thing that ai can't do um it's that's a massively expensive thing to do but we're doing something similar uh we're working towards getting silence by jenny ensor out with three voices Mm. which includes mine um which is not quite full cast, but it means that every single character has their own voice, which is important. But I think the full production thing, while it's a really nice aspiration, I don't know how financially it's justifiable because I've got a lot of well, colleagues who've worked in that field with, you know, uh, radio drama. Mm. And um, there was a company, Peer Productions, one of the most, you know, you listen to almost anything on Radio 4. Uh, it's a reading or a, a full cast production. I mean, peer production seem to have their fingers in every pie, but it's really expensive. But I don't think he was talking about complete full production in that way. I think no, it was sort of a move 
slightly towards that to make it more interesting and varied? For... Well, okay. I mean, look, I, I, one thing I've done in some of my productions is, for instance, and you'll, you'll remember this one, I did a romance story, um, a, oh, SAS yeah. romance, <laughs> uh, where they were, where the, the, the heroine is being held by the Taliban in the Tora Bora caves. And I put, I worked really hard for some time to get the reverb right. So it sounded like they were in a cave. Mm. You know, the voices echoing off the walls. And, you know, when, when, when the passages got narrower, I made that sound so it was less echoey and all that sort of thing. And with any phone conversation in my books that I narrate, mm. I, I put a phone filter on for the person on the end of the line. Mm. So you hear the person in real, you know, who's one end of the phone and then you've got the other one on the on the phone but you've got the technology for that which means there's no extra cost yeah i've got the technology and it's just just it's just taking the risk really yeah but what i think some people i mean i've talked about this with authors it gets more complicated if you add music mm. uh, because of the rights issue and, and audible don't like it and all that sort of thing even though some productions have got it from the big publication houses um that's one thing sound effects i mean what sound effects do you put in and which ones do you leave out well it's difficult it's, it's getting the balance right isn't it because you don't want it to you don't want to detract too much from the fact that you are reading a story you're narrating a story mm. you're not acting it you're not performing a play yeah so it's it's it is interesting to have extra elements in but it's getting the balance right i think so that it flows smoothly yeah i think ultimately it's got to be an emotionally engaging performance and great for the ear uh, i think there's there's not enough emphasis on making sure that the voice is working for the for the person listening and yeah look i was given one physical gift and that's it the voice and so i'm, <laughs> I'm particularly no don't no the smutty amongst you mr hastings uh will be laughing their heads off at this anyway um no listen i no seriously i mean that's the one thing that, that yeah that, you're, that, 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 that you it's an me. asset I yeah and you know that it was, it was a gift i was given and and i've used it but it's um I feel very particular about making sure that the interaction of the ear with the microphone with the voice is is as good as it can be. Uh, it's really important to me. And that's why I get really, really annoyed when I hear, uh, for instance, when I was working in, in the BBC, I'd have a go at my staff for, for popping on the microphone. The mm. <laughs> I'm trying I'll take away the pop filter <laughs> sounds that, that you, you could hear routine, routinely in normal broadcasting and you're thinking you've got a studio engineer in there why aren't they stopping this and getting in the position of the microphone because it's all about the relationship of your of your mouth to the microphone and how many layers of protection you put between it and mm. at the moment i should be popping like uh, nobody's business popping but, candy. but i've got yeah i've got <laughs> i've got uh, four layers of pop filter between myself and the microphone now you see i've learned something i didn't know there was such a thing as a pop filter now i know well there is in front of you now in, in your I microphone. can't see it though. No, it, look, I can, <laughs> look. I'll tell you what. For the benefit of the listeners, I'll just de-click it. Oh, okay. That that sits magnetically on your microphone is a pop filter. <laughs> I never knew that. I thought it was a, a flycatcher. Yeah, it looks a bit to like. To stop that. them going in my mouth when I'm talking. We see? really have digressed. We need but to anyway, get into yeah, it. So let, we're 15 minutes into this wonderful show, the Hobcast uh, Book Show. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, what have you got, Rebecca? Yeah, I just just um, quickly mentioned a couple of the other trends, or more than a couple, a few of the other trends. And everybody is going on about TikTok at the moment, or BookTok, which is like uh, book, uh, when you yeah. go on Instagram. Yeah. You know? And um, yes, we've used TikTok a little bit, and, and we need to learn more, and we need to use it more. But 
I always get a little bit suspicious when everybody is going on yeah, about the same yeah, thing. Yeah, it's the, it's the latest. Look, everyone's done Facebook. Everyone's done Amazon ads. I mean, everyone's done BookBub to various levels of success. Mm. And they've done Instagram and Twitter. And now they're looking for the new thing. And it's TikTok. So it actually might backfire because if everybody starts using it, mm-hmm. then the effectiveness. Well, it's interesting. Our compa- um, compadres, uh, in fact, I missed out on talking to James Blatch at the football yesterday. He was at the game uh, from the self-publishing formula. Um, and they're doing a uh, sort of guided uh, campaign with their members uh, to master TikTok as mm. a sort of group group thing for the next few weeks. And some people have really used it successfully uh, to sell other things other than books. Mm. Um, so I think that needs to be, you know, so if you're, I mean, the, the, the cause celebre, and I can't remember her name, but anyway, there's a woman who has made, has been turning over $100,000 a day based on her TikTok presence. And she's selling courses on how to use Excel, isn't Excel it? Yeah. by you know, Microsoft. And uh, she's very inventive and she's very prolific on... Uh, she's called uh, Miss Excel. And <laughs> um, she that's her sort of uh, brand name, if you like. And she's very, very creative and doesn't mind making a prat of herself. And it's worked. It's worked really well. I mean, mm. look, she's turning over $30 million in the space of 18 months. Not to be sniffed at, but I can't see that working for books. I think also TikTok is a very, it's a young, uh, you know, the demographic of people who like and used TikTok is is skewed young. But I suppose what could possibly happen is if everyone's talking about TikTok, but older people or older demographics will be interested and curious and they might actually go on to TikTok now. Because yes, now at the moment, TikTok is a very young um, demographic, uh, young adult books and fantasy and all those yes, like, books yes. that appeal to a certain... Yeah, urban fantasy and all that stuff. They and, do very, know, very well on TikTok. And, yes. I mean, the stuff that appeals to those... The, that, you have to excuse me. I'm just throwing my coffee down. Uh, it's all right. There wasn't much in it. Okay. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll mop up later. I don't know what what's happened there. Uh, I'm, I, all I can explain is I am extremely tired. I, I'm Driving is just nightmarish for me. And I've been on the road for six hours before we did this podcast. So God knows what happened there. But I was waving my hands around dramatically. You get excited just, about the And I let go of the coffee cup. I think it survived. Uh, gosh, it's full of drama this, this yeah, week. Yeah, no, so. it's a good podcast. But I think, I think yes, I mean, it, that's the demographic. I, I, would, I would imagine that, we're, that let's, let's not rule it out, but let's not get too excited that's about the possibilities. exactly my philosophy. I use it every now and then, and I will continue to do so, but I'm not going to devote huge amounts of my time embracing tiktok until i see any uh, results um and another trend that everybody is talking about the price of books they're all saying all the mds of the publishing company are saying they have to increase yes across the board yes we just have to because of shortages of paper because of um higher costs for Fuel exporting yeah yeah everything everything and we just have that has to be absorbed somewhere so well, the, the the cost of production pr- producing books is right has risen in the last eighteen months by about twenty percent of physically producing copies of books. Um, and clearly, that's not quite the case in in but you know in terms of e-books. But you know the price uh, sort of um, sort of dynamic in e-books is generally downwards. It's, you know, downward shifts numbers, um, but nonetheless. Uh, you know, there's an argument to say, why would you price something you've worked so hard at at 99p? You know, 
regularly. Um, so they're or 99 cents. So, uh, but I think the physical cost of produ- producing books is almost impossible for us. If we use Ingram Spark now to produce books, we can't price them yeah. at, at the usual $10 or £10 if that we, we have in the past. If, if it's over a certain page count, definitely not. Yes, yeah, if the page count is crucial, you know, the shorter the better. But if, you know, if you're creeping over, what, 400 pages? Yeah, it's about 450. Yeah, then... then 999 then, doesn't work. Right. You can't, you can't, they won't let you print it because you're not, you're, you're basically printing at a loss. So that has to be factored in. And I think that the traditional publishers will gradually creep their prices up. Yeah. So, and that will benefit us because it will mean we will also be able to follow suit. But you'll still have situations with Waterstones and W.H. Smith in this country and Barnes & Noble presumably in the States where the two for one, buy one, get one half price kind of deals will still be going on. And there will also be, as there, as there is now in the UK, the supermarket mm. editions in che- with cheaper paper. Um, you know, routinely selling for under five pounds for mm. a paperback. Uh, that's going to continue. Yeah, that's... That, that, you know, they're not going to allow publishers to put the prices up that much to reflect that. You know, so I think you know, what is an author going to get paid for a sale of one of those books? Ten p if they're lucky. Five p. You yeah. know, I think that you know, everyone has to recognise that. Yes, ebooks have driven prices downwards. And a lot of people who've been very successful in the indie sphere have used perma-free books or 99 cents, 99p uh, offers to get their books selling and into the into hands mm. um, and building followings that way. But it can't continue. No. Okay, one last trend I want to talk about before we get into our interview because we really need to now. Um, more success for small presses. Now, obviously, when I saw this, I thought, ooh, that sounds interesting. And the idea is that um, readers are more willing to support authors published by small presses, um, just like when people go into independent bookshops, same sort of, you know, yeah. sense. And small presses um, are more likely to be collaborative with other small presses as opposed to competitive. And and, and mm. the argument is that, you know, that, that is a trend that is continuing. I think there is... Personally, I've, I've felt this for some time, and this is not to disparage, you know, we're members of the Independent Publishers Guild, but I just get the feeling that they don't quite understand our level of the indie no, sphere. we're just a little bit too... Micro. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a need, and I'm not putting my head above the parapet because we haven't got the time, but I think there is a need for um, publishers of our ilk to get together. Yeah, absolutely. And we would be more than willing to do that. Yeah, that. absolutely. 100%. And, you know, we take an active part where we can't lead the charge. Um, but I think there is a need to, you know, for... I mean, indie authors, independent authors who publish themselves are very much a tribe, mm. by and large. You know, they really have supported each other and passed on best practice. But I don't think the publishers uh, that we're, you know, in our world... I mean, we're, we're not, you know in conversation with someone like Joffe, who are, you know, the pioneers of this field, mm. someone like that. But there are an awful lot of small presses very similar to us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and we're as valid a part of the industry as any of the biggies and any of the mediums. And I think readers are starting to recognise that. Well, that's what that's saying. Yeah. And that's why we need, I think... You know, because, I mean, we're also members of the uh, Alliance of Independent Authors, Ally, yeah. who, you know, promote the those indie authors who publish themselves. You know, 
again, there's a sort of sense of camaraderie and there's a, there's a sort of uh, a membership body that, that looks after their interests. Mm. Uh, but we, and a lot of their work is to try and overcome the snobbery that surrounds self-publishing, um, which is now, you know, being blown out of the water, let's be honest, by the number of successes. So, you know, you take an LJ Ross, she just proves that you can really smash it mm. and do a brilliant job and give back and do all sorts of things, uh, you know, with six million sales. Um, it's, it's you know, time for the small group of independent publishers, and maybe we should do this when we're in London Book Fair, is go around um, and start gathering the business cards and corralling some interest in it. But, yeah, it's time for our side of the business to stand up and say, we're as good as the big guys, and actually, in some ways, we're better because we are less market-focused and more prepared to take risks. Yes, that's others. a very important point, that small presses actually, are... Yeah. And we're prepared to be more supportive of our authors. Oh, completely, yeah. It's, it's a collaboration that's part of our ethos, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And on that note, we ought to talk to Daniel. Well, let's talk to Daniel Hurst. So Daniel, um, as I've mentioned, um, as we mentioned, has sold, well, he's sold extremely well. And this has been a big leap for him. He's left his office job in his mid-30s, now a full-time author. And based around his philosophy of writing extremely quickly, I mean, you know, thousands and thousands of words a day, getting books out regularly, He's built a big following in a rather short amount of time. So he's one of the success stories uh, of the recent indie community based in Bolton. And uh, he has released a number of psychological thrillers, which have done extremely well. You know, we're talking about thousands of Amazon reviews and uh, therefore sales and done, you know, great things. Well, the fact he's he's able to work as a full time author says quite a lot. So. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, he's got a new book coming out next week, which we'll have details of after the interview. But let's get to Daniel Hurst. Daniel Hurst, thank you so much for joining us on the Hobcast Book Show. Hi, thanks for having me. We really wanted to speak to you because, you know, as we start the, the new year, we're sitting, uh, in fact, we've sat up in bed at about four in the morning debating on how we change the dynamic of our book business and, and publishing and, uh, you know, the a year of setting up and attracting authors and all that sort of thing is all very well, but it's all about the sales. But you've achieved that. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to speak to you. You know, it's, it's been a, an incredible story. So take us through it. When did you want to decide that you were going to, you know, throw it all in and become a full-time author? Yeah, well, being a writer is something that, you know, I think most writers say they wanted to do it since they were a child. Um, I used to write stories when I was a kid. And it was always one of those things in my head where I thought to myself, I'll do it when I'm older, you know, and then you keep putting it off and putting it off. Um, and then it was a couple of years ago, I was just about, I just got married. And I thought to myself, you know, 34, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. Because um, once you start going down the path with mortgages and kids, I thought, how am I going to have the time to come home from work and, and start writing? Um, and at that point, I'd already spent about three or four years kind of, Get involved with screenwriting um, and going down the traditional traditional routes of trying to get publishers and agents and that kind of thing. And at that point, I thought, I just want something that's going to, I can control myself and I can kind of put all my energy in and kind of speed it up, as it were. And that's when I discovered the whole self-publishing world. Um, I heard a few podcasts and thought, wow, there's this whole kind of 
you know, a community out there, people that are just doing this themselves. They don't need permission of other people. They can just sit down and write. Um, and that's how it all begun. It's still quite a leap, though, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, it's one thing to complete a book, which in itself is a massive achievement. It's a quite another <laughs> something we to, both want to do. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely, and and, and in in a sense, that's what we're going to do in twenty twenty two. Is that you know you'll see it both in print, hopefully. But uh, if only we could find a publisher. Um, <laughs> but but there's so much more attached to it. I mean, finishing a manuscript is one thing, but yeah. the whole ethos and the the ecosystem around publishing is huge. Getting your covers done, the editing. Yeah. Uh, figuring out what your audience is the marketing it is a massive undertaking so have you at any stage had that and we often have this feeling you know have we done the right thing <laughs> and do you ever get that sort of self-doubt creep in yeah so when like i said i've been writing for a few years kind of on my own so i knew i was capable of having the discipline to sit down and get through a story beginning to end what I, when i went into self-publishing the thing i was conscious of was I didn't just want to write another book and then nothing happened. So I actually put in a few months where I made sure to just do research. So it was all podcasts, YouTube videos, Facebook groups, just to see what other people were doing. So I felt I had the confidence that when I had a manuscript finished, I was actually going to get some kind of readership from it. You know, I wasn't expecting much, but just some way of knowing that someone other than my mum or my wife could actually read the book. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was yeah but at the time it did feel massively overwhelming because if you kind of go down the route that I did with self-publishing you know, you've got to do everything yourself it's the website advertising like I said book covers editing you know it's everything so you know there were many nights where I thought what am I getting involved in why am I doing this um is it gonna you know is anything gonna come of it it might still be a waste of time um, but it was just that kind of the passion for writing and the determination that I thought I don't want to spend 30 years in a job that I hate. I might as well, you know, give it my best shot and see what happens. So were you still um, working full time when you wrote the first one? Yeah, so it was, I worked like a nine to five office job. Um, so it was kind of in and around that. So sometimes I'd get up early in the morning, um, or I'd write in the evenings. Um, and as time went on, I started to kind of see that this potentially could be something. I was expecting it was going to take a few years. But I thought, if it's kind of the more I write and the more I kind of throw myself into this, it's going to speed it up. So then it became, you know, on my lunch break, it was on the train, on the way to work, on the train home. Mm. Just any time I could get some words down, you know, and then weekends, I started to kind of sacrifice a few personal things because, like, well, I can see that there's a potential here. Um, but then, even then, it still took a while because... I ignored some of the advice, which was right to market, and I just kind of wrote whatever I wanted to. Um, so it's still that kind of delayed things. And it was about a year after I'd really committed to self-publishing when I kind of stumbled upon the genre that was best suited to me and probably what I should have done at the start. And then that's when almost overnight it kind of changed. So psychological fiction is... Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So it's thrillers, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So the kind of the husband and wife, you know, the kind of mystery and murder, that kind of that kind of thing. That was always the books that I used to read and interested in and the films that I would watch. Um, for some reason, I kind of went off on a bit of a tangent and wrote, you know, several other books that had nothing to do with that. But then once I kind of thought, 
you know, because you, you have to kind of approach it as a businessman. And I guess that was my biggest mistake for about five years before self-publishing was I never thought of it as a business. I thought, you know, I'm a creative person. I'm an artist. I've got a story to tell. You've got to think, well, an audience member needs to know what's the story about just from the front cover. Um, and that was something that I, you know, that I had to learn that. And once I did, it was obvious that the readers out there could find my book straight away. And that's when I started to see the, the income increasing. That's fantastic. So, I mean, the, the covers are, uh, you know, really on, on message. Uh, who, who, who do you get to, to, to design them? Um, so I started off with there's a company, a website called 99 Designs. Oh, yeah. And yeah. You, can, you can basically go on there and have, it's almost like an audition where you say, this is my idea, what I'm thinking of, this is the genre. And then you'll get about 20, 30, 40 designers that will kind of pitch their covers. Um, so with that, you can just choose your favourite one. And then because I knew I was going to write so many books, you can kind of then just say to that designer, can I just use you for the future? Which is then you can obviously negotiate cheaper prices. Um, and there's also a website called 100 Covers. Yes. Um, which is, I think it's an American website. And that's, that's been a good designer as well. Do you have different covers for the US and, and the UK? Or is it the no, same? same same cover. Yeah, because we, we, I mean that's one of the things we've considered is it's there's a very different feel to American covers for different genres yeah, compared so to the UK. Really, traditional publishers do tend to have two two different versions: one for the UK market, one for US market. Um, so I used to work at Oxford University Press, and we always did. It was you know just the, the way they did it, but yeah, yeah. So I don't yeah. think self-published people often do because I think I think also the the, the two styles have merged slightly, especially in crime mm. and psychological fiction. That you know, there's actually not that big a difference anymore. No, yeah. I think you're right. I think that that trend has, has has merged quite a fair bit, isn't it? Yeah, maybe some of it was because you know I'm I'm conscious I have to do the, the covers and the editing and all the marketing, but. I always kind of had a rule to myself that I didn't want to spend all my time doing that and not be able to focus on the writing. Um, so maybe that's why I didn't, you know, spend too much time wondering which cover's best for which cover. <laughs> you can overthink it. Well, I, I, I yeah, mean, uh, looking, at, looking at the covers that you, you've got, I mean, you know, they, they really nail it. So, yeah, for this... you know, your, your, uh, your relationship with your, your designer is obviously very strong, but, you know, they absolutely... Um, tell me exactly what genre I'm going looking at and uh, uh, so from that perspective they've really worked yeah yeah I'm happy with them like I said a couple of them I kind of have an idea in mind straight away and sometimes I've got absolutely no idea Um, because it kind of depends you know what's the title of the book and if it's something that's obvious and you can you know put an image straight away and if it's not then I basically go to design and I'm like I've got this idea you know help me and then it's up to them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's kind of nice because you know being a writer you're kind of on your own writing all day but then this is how you get a bit of a you know you, you still kind of got your colleagues you've got your designers your editors your you know, advanced readers and it's, it's your kind of team that you're building as you yeah go. we we've got a similar thing haven't we do you work with the same editor then on, on all the books or do you have more than one editor um so i had one that i started with um but it, at the start, the, the earnings weren't enough to kind of pay the fees that were necessary. Yeah. So um, there's a kind of a system that I think quite a lot of indies use where you get your team of advanced readers. So if you have um, your subscribers to your 
you know, email list, you can kind of say, look, I've got a book coming out in a while. If any, if I send it out to you for free, can you, you know, point out any mistakes, any errors that you see? Um, and then from that, you get the general ones that people that pick up the obvious mistakes. I've also had someone that is um, more of an editor that she actually helps me now um, with, with each book. Oh, that's great. I mean, we have the same thing. We, we do employ editors, but our advanced readers, I absolutely adore them because they do. They yeah. pick up the tiniest things mm. that have got yeah, through yeah. to, and you know, and there's one particular one, and she, I can always rely on her to find everything. She always has a good long list of missing commas, <laughs> and <laughs> and that's the thing with with what I'm doing, kind of indie publishing. It's speed is one of the things that can help kind of advance your career the best. Mm. And if you're going with the traditional editors, that could, it could take months to, to get your manuscript back. Um, whereas with the advanced readers, it's, it's a lot quicker. And, you know, there's, there's obviously a tendency, I think, people trying to get something. You spend years trying to make one thing perfect. And it's, you've kind of got to admit, nothing's going to be perfect. You're just at some point going to say, this is, this is good enough now to put out. And, you know, once it's out in the world, nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Books are never finished; they're abandoned. But also, I mean, <laughs> yeah. nowadays, it, it's it, the thing is that you can still make corrections at any point. So you yeah, can publish your book, and up until the point of publication and beyond, you can re-upload the file. So you know, it's it's not yeah. a disaster yeah. like it used to be. A you know, oh my god, we spelt somebody's name wrong. We have to pulp the whole stock. You know, it's not like <laughs> yeah. that anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, it's there's so much digital now. You can just takes two minutes to make a correction which is is nice especially in the early days when I started because you know I, I tried to think back on some of my early attempts but yeah um quite a few mistakes <laughs> okay here's a question for you that um it made me think of we, we interviewed Abir Mukherjee and uh he's on you know, what number book is he on there that's number five he's on number five and he said he's too scared to reread his first book <laughs> Do you have yeah. that that sense that if you went back and read the first one, you would be like, "Oh my god, I've changed yeah. so much." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely not planning on going back to the first ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's quite interesting though because actually last week well, I was quiet over the Christmas period. I went and read back my first um, psychological thriller, the one that kind of had the success that started my whole full time career, um, because. I've since written quite a few books, but that one is, all my readers kind of say, that's still the favourite one. So I was trying to kind of tap back into like, what was I doing mm. at the time? What, you know, what made that one better? Um, Which one's that? Um, it's called Till Death Duels Part. Yeah, I'm just looking at it now. So you've got uh, on the UK Amazon website, uh, 2,200 odd ratings there, which is phenomenal. <laughs> so it's sort of thing yeah. we dream of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty mad. Um, the only thing I can think of why that book maybe has something that the others not quite have is that was the one that I was getting up at six in the morning. You know, I was kind of sort of driven to, I was still working in office at the time. Mm. And it kind of just came out with like the whole, you know, my passion for writing, my desperation for being a writer. It just all poured out of me in this story. Um, and then, yeah, I guess once you're full time, it's hard to kind of get that magic back. <laughs> You have to just go ride on trains or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Go do a few commutes. <laughs> get on the trains. Just get up at six and then go back to bed. So write feverishly for an hour and go back to bed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'll try that. So, I mean, that's 20, that was released on the 20th of November 2020. So we're yeah. only 
just over a year on from there how many i mean you've got a number of books out so you're absolutely your your uh, work rate is incredible yeah how long does it take you from start to finish um to get a draft quite in two weeks um <laughs> well start? again this when i started i wasn't this fast it used to be you know oh my goodness i've done 500 words in a day that's amazing and i just kind of <laughs> you know i try and build it up 1000 2000 um so i've had 10,000 word days before that's wow. a dissertation but, yeah it is i used to think that you know i went to uni i thought god i did a dissertation years ago and it took me you know months and then yes. <laughs> you could do it in a day now yeah yeah it's pretty insane but i just yeah it was it was seeing that other people were doing it like i say i'm part of some facebook groups where it yes. showed me that you know because i guess the traditional sense is oh, you can only write one book a year that's kind of what everyone thinks because that's how society seems but it's finding this group where people were writing five, ten thousand words a day, you know, a dozen books a year. And I thought, I've got such a passion for telling stories. I, I could come up with an idea every single day. So why am I just going to try and do one book a year? Why, don't, if I can write faster and do something I enjoy, why don't I do more? Yeah, it, it does seem to be one of the the great secrets of of recent indie success i think it's rapid we, release yeah, absolutely it, so yeah. we've spoken to jason dagleish and simon mccleave is a really good exponent of this in, in the crime genre of quick release um and, and as a former script writer himself you know he knows how to 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 uh, work under pressure and set himself deadlines and, and crack on but there's still a phenomenal rate of release uh is there you know do you ever get the feeling oh i wish i could just take my foot off the gas or is it just this you know your this passion is carrying you forward yeah, yeah. at that rate yeah definitely i'm feel like i'm taking my foot off the gas a bit now um a lot of it was because we went into obviously um with, with covid and the world kind of shut down for almost two years 18 months um so when i when i went full-time we were kind of still in lockdown in the uk mm. so i had the first three months of being full-time was just you know everyone staying in the house so there's nothing else to do but right so that's kind of explained you know why so many books came out in that period um now the world's kind of opened back up it's going to slow down a bit but again it's you know it's i always viewed it as a job i never thought i want to be a writer so i can put my feet up all day and stare out the window <laughs> <in> cafes and <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it, it was i want to be a writer so i can write all day so you know five days a week i'm probably going to be you know, I, like a job. Fantastic. I mean, I, I have a lot of admiration for your work ethic. I would I would love to be able to do that. But it's interesting you say you, you've got all these ideas. So you get all these ideas. Do you think that is that feeds into your work ethic? That if you didn't have the ideas, you wouldn't be able to sit down and be disciplined and, and write so much. Yeah, I think with the ideas, it was say, since I was a kid, I was always kind of jotting things down and writing ideas. But it's only if I kind of tap into it. You know, if I don't, if I was to not, so I've had years where I, I didn't write a word back in, you know, my twenties. Um, so the ideas didn't really come. And then it was whenever I thought I should focus on telling a story, that's when my imagination kind of kicks in. Mm. Um, and it's like, once you tap into that, it's like almost impossible to turn it off. And then, you know, you go into bed at night and your head's spinning with ideas. And, how do you, because you, you mentioned you were married, how did your wife cope with this? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, it's quite funny because um, when she first met me, she had no idea I had this passion of being a writer. And then it was something that I've mentioned from time to time over the years. And then it gradually became something that was, you know, coming home from work. I'm, I'm not going to watch TV tonight. I'm going to do some writing. 
Um, but it was still, you know, just this dream that I had. That, you know, I'm sure she probably thought, well, you know, she's, she always encouraged me, but maybe ne never thought anything would come of it. And then all of a sudden, oh, you know, I can do this for a job. And, you know, she's been great. She's always supported me and, you know, never once told me to stop writing, never once said, can you <laughs> come and watch this with me instead of doing that tonight? Um, but yeah, that's why I think there will be a bit of taking my foot off the gas now because obviously I want to make up for all that time that I spent writing, not spending time with her. <laughs> I think it's very important, isn't it, to have support like that, you know. Do, do, so does she read yeah. everything you write? Yeah, she did at the start. Um, <laughs> she can't keep I up think, now. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's so much now. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's a bit behind now, so I'm, I'm kind of winding up all the time about, you know. But my mum's read everything that I've written. She's always up to date, so that's good. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I've got. I've got to ask to to get to a ten thousand word day. Are you using dictation or is that fingers on keyboard? Yeah, that's just fingers on keyboard. I've never wow. tried dictation. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if it's, it's for me. I, I, the act of actually having my hands on the keyboard and the noise of it and everything is just. I guess that's that's what the pace comes from. I can't imagine just talking into a. You know, recorder i don't know i've never tried it i've heard it's good yeah, yeah I mean, a lot of people it, swear it, by it, it but... yeah i mean i'm a keyboard person too i can't imagine well i, I love that feeling when when i'm in the flow at the keyboard <laughs> yeah and it's almost too, yeah. i don't know if you get that feeling it's a bit like going into hyperspace in star wars or something like that there's like a yeah. tunnel yeah. and yeah. and, and it's like a force field that, that keeps the rest of the world out because you're in that in that place yeah. and it just comes um you i mean to get a ten thousand word day presumably that's how you how you it, you experience it too yeah but say so, so much of it is the structure so it's saying okay once you've kind of worked out what you can you can write you can say well i'll do you know you break it down into chapters so 1500 word chapter you might think like i can get two chapters done in the morning there's three thousand two in the afternoon there's six and then if i was to go into the evening then there's another three so there's your nine it's, it's not just kind of a one constant, you know, 10 hour session. It's, it's, it's you break it down into chunks. It's right. I think it would be exhausting though if so, you sat down for 10 well, hours. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. So that suggests to me that you're plotting, you know, you know what your structure is before you sit down and, and actually commit. Yeah, I, I do these days. Actually, the first few books was just completely 100% pantsing. Um, like the Till Death Deals part was all just, just came out, it was me sitting in front of the keyboard telling a story um but yeah these days i pop because it's quite nerve-wracking to get fifty thousand words into a book and not know how it ends <laughs> absolutely uh, in terms of i mean it's interesting because you, your success is with um unless i'm terribly mistaken these are standalone books aren't they yeah so the the, the successful books are the standalone i've got a series but yeah it's, it's all standalone that accounts for being full-time Wow. And, and I mean, you know, the, the perceived wisdom in the indie community is to <laughs> go down the series route, doesn't it? So, um, yeah. but I guess with psychological, psychological thrillers. Yeah. So, but I, I do think people do follow authors in this genre, don't they? Yes, they do. I mean, I, I, I know I do. I read a book by Harriet Tice, loved it so much. And I downloaded the, this is on Audible. I downloaded the next one straight away and just, you know, and then the, I'm waiting for the next one, which is coming out in April. I can't wait. You do. If you like someone's style. Even yeah, yes. yeah, so I always get emails where people said we found one of my books and it could be any of them, but then it's I'm now going back to see you know what else you've got. And obviously there's quite a bit there. So then they might email me 
two months later saying, I'm still reading, I'm still working my way through all your books now. <laughs> um, and it's kind of, oh, you're, you're now my favourite author. And it's like, they didn't know about me two months ago. And it's like, it's pretty insane to think. There's a point when I just wanted one reader in the world. And then, there's, yeah. you know, you're getting strangers from America and Australia sending messages. So um, I have a question. So, cause, because you, you talked about how much time you spend writing every day. How much time do you spend on marketing? So not as much as I think people... People kind of say you need to split it, you know, spend your morning writing, your afternoons marketing. But I always had a rule with myself that I was trying to quit my job to do something I enjoyed and marketing wasn't something that I was dreaming about. So I, I kind of do <laughs> the, the bare minimum. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I thought, you know, I don't want to quit my job and then have to spend all day watching videos on how to set up an Amazon advert or that kind of thing. Um, so it was just, you know, what can I you know, kind of pick it up as I go and what can I get by with doing. But the, such a key part of the success is having more than one book because I see, I get quite a few messages from authors that have one book out. It's got great reviews, um, but, you know, they're not making the success. They're not able to go full time. And they're asking for advice. And the advice is always write another book because even if a reader finds you and enjoys your work, if there's nothing else to go on to. You're not, you know, you're not kind of maximising what the potential was if you've got a dozen books out, that one reader is going to go through all of them and you only need a handful of readers to start making some, some profit. And if, obviously uh, my aim is to kind of inspire anyone who has the dream of quitting their job um, because that was me, you know, two years ago. Um, so I always say, you know, write another book, keep going because once you hit on the successful book, you need to make sure you've got a few more behind it. Yeah. No, I agree, because you can read a book, absolutely love a book. If they haven't got any more books out, you just move on to find someone else. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's I think I think that's, well, that's a message that we, we try and pass on to our authors in the sense that, you know, <laughs> uh, really can only judge success when we've got a, a portfolio of, of, of work to promote. And, you know, it is it is difficult. So, but uh, in terms of, um, you know, where the emphasis is on your marketing strategy, is it the first, you know, the first books or is each one given the same level of marketing, you know, spend and, and effort? Yeah, so I, I tend to just focus on um, the new book and try and advertise that. So then you've, got, you've got your team of readers that have already been with you from the start. They'll go and get it anywhere. Then you, you've always got a chance to pick up new readers. And I'm also aware that I might write a certain story that, Someone might see the advert for that and think that's not for me. But then my next book, that might appeal. So I'm always making sure to advertise a new book to try and you never know when you're going to catch someone with a story that they might be interested in. Um, so that's why I kind of veered away from the series because the idea with that is you just constantly advertise your first in series. If yeah. people aren't interested in that first in series, it doesn't matter how many you've written, they're never going to go. <laughs> yeah, so I kind of always try and start a fresh cycle of new adverts for new books yeah that's true i mean and and in terms of the emphasis on platforms because i mean you know the three big ones uh which one works for you best is it facebook amazon or yeah yeah it's facebook ads um that's how i started and even with that i'm I'm pretty basic with what i do because there is obviously the website you can go on to do it and i just use the app which is you know a more simple simplified version yeah um i've never done amazon ads which i should do but Again, no, I'm focused on the right. It sounds like ads. you haven't needed to. 
Yeah. One thing that did make a big difference was getting a book bub feature deal. Yes. Which was, I think, I'm trying to remember when it was now, just almost a year ago. Um, and at that point, that kind of, because that's, we can get in front of thousands of American readers. And that was the point where I went from, my readership was 90% UK, to now it's kind of 50-50 America, wow. UK. Um, I'd say that was, but again, the book bubble was successful because at that point I had enough books behind the one I was yeah. advertising to trickle through. No, that's fantastic. Yeah, so that's good, isn't it? Because you picked up new readers and then they went back and read other books. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I, anyone listening to this who's, you know, doing what I'm doing, if you can get a book book feature deal, that's the... Um, I hear people sometimes have to apply a few times, but once you get it, it, it can be the thing that kind of sets everything else off. And I guess that's why I don't actually spend too much time marketing now, because it, once it gets to a certain level, it kind of runs itself. Mm. Um and it's, it's up to me if I want to try and get new readers or, you know, just focus on the ones I've got and just keep writing new books to them. True enough, true enough. If you, yeah, if you've got a thousand loyal readers, then whatever you produce. Yeah, they're all going to buy it. Yeah, yeah you're straight, straight <laughs> so, into profit, really. Yeah, and then there's a certain amount of organic marketing that happens then, isn't it? Because those readers will yeah. introduce their friends yeah. and family. and Absolutely, yeah, you're, you're loyal fans. Um, in terms of uh, formats, uh, obviously the e-books, but, all of them in paperback? Yeah, not the series, but all the standalones, paperback. And we're going through the process of audiobooks now. Um, again, that was something that I put off because it was taken away from the writing. I'm trying to, you know, try and maximise each each book if I can. And, and who, who does your audio for you? Um, WF House. House, yeah. 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 <laughs> I've worked for them. <laughs> okay, yeah. And I think no, Tanta, really. You should explain that Adrian is actually he's an audio narrator as well as yes. half of Hobeck. <laughs> yes, no, I, I've I've done a couple of series for them, and uh, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, they're tough taskmasters, I have to say. <laughs> I was going to say yeah. you've got the voice for audio books. Oh well, thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm back back in the studio later doing doing one of ours. Um, but yeah, for WF House, uh, I, I was given things like uh, we want you to do a series. They're all 13 hours long. Can you get them done in three weeks? Um, <laughs> that nearly killed only me. if I'm an AI robot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that nearly killed me, uh, especially when you're doing are a you, se- are 70 you page. You're talking about the the Romans and the Greeks. oh yeah, the Romans. Yeah, well, you know, the, <laughs> one battle scene was 70 pages long. Um, oh. <laughs> and uh, believe me, when you're sort of you know such and such shouts, you know, and so and so has died, and then suddenly another wave of Scythians come over the hill, and, and you've and got that, nowhere to go with it. I mean, that was a really <laughs> tough three weeks because it wasn't the studio booth we're in now is sound is relatively soundproof. It is, yeah. But th- that time it was just curtains, wasn't it? <laughs> it was effectively curtains. <laughs> so yeah. The rest of us in the house, so myself, three boys, and a cat. A cat now, a cat who had a thyroid problem as well, so she yeah. was constantly hungry. So meowing all the time. It was hard to keep quiet. <laughs> Three <was>. weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. I went through that. <laughs> was, was, <laughs> I think I'd rather have been in the battle than doing the narration. <laughs> Killed me. No, that's it's very exciting. Um to, to, to and I think it's important, and we feel it's important that you reflect all those formats because people are increasingly consuming books through audio and discover an author and then might buy the or they might do the whisper sync thing, which you know, of course, is to yeah, buy the book and then for three ninety nine or whatever it is, get the get the audio alongside it so that they can 
flick between the two but that's that's terrific but you've 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 innovated something that really intrigues us the 20 minute series um yeah what's the thinking behind that is it is something that you can read in 20 minutes or is this (laughs) (laughs) or is this uh a more sort of thematic um idea yeah, so it's, the idea is each book is set over a 20-minute period. Um, right. And basically each book consists of 20 chapters, and each chapter is a different character. Um, so you can see why it's not exactly to market. Um, but it, it's, it's, it basically came from I was getting the tube into work in London every day. And I you know, yeah. see all these people on the tube. And obviously being a, you know, a daydreamer, I'd always start thinking, I wonder who that person is, I wonder where they're going, I wonder, you know, and in a good mood, and in a bad mood, what's on the mind. So the first book was just me kind of getting out all these ideas of 20 people on a tube, um, you know, some, some good stories, some bad stories, happy, sad, that kind of thing. Um, and that was the first self-published book I did. Um, it, it did okay, it wasn't making much, but I start, that was when I first started to get a trickle of emails from people saying, you know, I enjoyed the book, I, you've got to do a second one, I want to know what happens to these characters. <laughs> That was like, I thought, oh, great, you know, this is the first time I've ever had anyone outside of my family and friends tell me that, you know, they're interested. So I got to work on the second book and then obviously I was following the advice to do a series. So that's what I, I did. I did a 20 minute series. Um, again, it's not made compared to the standalones, but because it's got such a, a, a readership of fans that kind of, my, I'd say they're my true fans, like all the readers I've got, it's the 20 minute fans that are the ones that kind of, you know, they'll email me just to say, you know, Hope you're having a good week. I hope you know. Have a nice weekend. Merry Christmas. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah, I must admit, it appealed to me. It, it did appeal to me because yeah. I like. I just like the concept. But then I'm a bit of a quirky reader. I'm not a. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a bit different. But I, because it was called Twenty Minutes, my wife was like, "Oh, you've got to do. You should do twenty books in the series." Yes, this so, is right. Yeah. <laughs> once I committed to that, I was like, I can't stop now. So I think at the moment I'm on book eighteen. So I'd say you're not far off the, the deadline then. You'll have to think something else after that then. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's been quite good to do because writing psychological thrillers, you kind of, you, you, there's a certain formula to it. You know, you need certain types of characters, same types of um, themes. With the 20 minute series, it's, I can go, go off on a tangent and just write about anything. Um, you know, I can mix in serial killers with, you know, child characters with all sorts of things. So it's it's been a good kind of balance to when I need kind of to freshen my mind up, I just go into one of the twenty minute books and kind of mm. gives me that creative, you know, experience. Yeah, I was going to say from a craft perspective, developing all yeah, those characters it's slightly is slightly more challenging, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so... yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you yeah, can't, you know, like, yeah, like said, point, or something. Fall back. Writing the twenty minute series was what's made me kind of speed up to the point where when I do write the standalones, I'm, I'm fast enough to kind of get them out quite quickly. Because, you know, once you've committed to a 20-book series, you've got to be fast. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, do, I mean, given the speed at which you're, 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 you're writing, do you ever get writer's block? Do you, does anything get in the way of that? Um, you know, do you ever have a crisis of confidence at the, at the keyboard? Um, no, that's, that's one thing I can say. At touch wood, that's never, never <laughs> happened. <laughs> I think I'd be in trouble if it did, um, especially if I'm not finished a series. Well, um, no, it's never, I've never thought to myself. Now, I've had a few moments where you're sitting there staring at the blank page and you kind of have that thought, well, God, what if nothing ever comes to me? This is it, this is the end. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess the thing is, you just put your, put your hands on the keyboard, attack something, and you know you can always go back and change that and edit it. But just to start, it's, it's the motion of the hands on the keyboard. Once you start going, it it just kind of it starts my kind of your brain remembers. Oh yeah, we're writing again. Here we go, and it just kicks in. I think one of our authors um, recommended to me. So we we do a annual Christmas uh, short story anthology, and I, Adrian and I also contribute to this. And last Christmas, I couldn't think of anything, and I said to one of our authors, "I'm just sat there looking at the Word document, and my hands poised." And he said, "Just type anything; doesn't matter what, anything, and then it will come." And he was right. Who? who yeah, gave that Anthony. Advice. Anthony Dunford. Anthony Dunford. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's very good advice. I mean, I. I did my usual thing, which was leave it to the last last minute, um, <laughs> which I always used to do with university essays and whatever. I actually was thinking about it last night. What I used to do, I used to have a scoreboard on my door in, in halls my first year and uh, keep people informed as to, you know, how because oh. I wouldn't come out for three days. <laughs> you know, four essays to do, three down, you know, um, two hours left kind of thing and mm. people used to bring me pro plus and coffees and oh that's very sweet of them <laughs> yeah 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 m&ms and things just to keep, just to keep me going um but yeah i mean my contribution this year was was very last minute wasn't it yes and i end up being the naggy editor don't i think right okay you've got you've got four days left to <laughs> deliver a story to me <laughs> and he always does <laughs> yeah it's amazing oh, well, i wish urgency. i had discipline daniel <laughs> yes. I, mean, I really do <laughs> I think urgency is the thing, um, you know, if you've got a deadline, that's obviously going to help. And if, like me, you're in a job that you hate, then that's going to make you, you know, just get on with it. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be, be honest, um, I mean, I, I kind of empathise and, and understand the situation you're in when you first started writing. Because I was doing the same, wasn't it? I was, yes. I was writing in Google Docs on my phone, on the train. And you were getting into people were people noticing you <laughs> well at work at work I was bored stiff and even though it was a very involved job but I just couldn't help it I just you know and during lunch breaks but then people assumed that yeah. I was working uh that, that was my working time so I got into uh, you know they told me off and said right this is the BBC by the way who said right stop you know enough we've seen you writing all the time and you talk about it in the office it's embarrassing you're a manager you shouldn't be doing this you know i just couldn't oh, help wow. it i really was very very enthusiastic about what i was writing at the time uh and then i started doing okay right i'll be disciplined and i just did it in my lunch breaks but of course you're you sat at your, at your desk, desk and, yeah. and people assume yeah. that you know you're, you're eating at a work time you needed a hat I did need a hat or just somewhere yeah. else I could do it. But, my, my lunch hat. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. If, you, if, if, you, if you're in a job which you increasingly dislike and the process yeah. of getting there and all the stuff that goes on there, uh, writing is a fantastic escape. Mm. And um, I think it's launched quite a few careers, actually, having yeah. a bad job. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I sometimes think if my job hadn't been so bad, would it push me to do it? And I don't think it would because, you know, people can say, oh, you know, you're so talented, but... If it's talent, then it would have happened 20 years ago. It has to be, the, you know, the willpower and a certain set of circumstances have to kind of fall into place and everything just, you know, in that moment you think, this is, I'm going to do this now. And it's, you know, like you mentioned with the lunch hour, I used to um, go outside because if I stayed in the office, people would say, oh, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing on your phone? You know, get distracted, talk, talk about football results, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I used to go outside and sometimes, you know, it'd be winter and all weathers and I'd be like, I need to get down, you know, 500 words and just be sitting on a park bench, my hands freezing cold, thinking, you know, if I, if I keep doing this, maybe one day I won't have to come to this office anymore. 
Maybe that's the magic of till death us do part. <laughs> it was the frozen fingers. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that that's that's um, you know fascinating to find that motivation and, and you know it drives you on. I mean, actually, once you get into that zone, it is wonderful. Um, and actually, Hovex kind of got in the way of that, really. Um, but you know, I have I've said to you, haven't I, that. By the end of 2022, yeah, he said he, this book I've been working on for umpteen years now will get done. Yes, he's, he made me a promise yesterday, and I wish I'd had my phone so I could press record. And he said, <laughs> "I promise to finish my book by the end of the year." So it's it's oh, now yeah. it's on the podcast, so it's got to. I see you've said it now. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing that I was going to quote another Mancunian. Um, so Johnny Mart says, "You know, uh, inspiration's got to find you working." So it is that thing of yeah. being there, uh, you know, in his case, playing the guitar, I presume, and, you know, being in the studio all the time so that, you know, when something hits, it's there to be captured. The same at the keyboard, yeah. really. Yeah, exactly. And people kind of say, how do you get your ideas? Do you just kind of wait for inspiration to strike? And it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. It's sit down, you know, like any other job, start working, and then it will come. Um, yeah, keep chiseling. Yeah, yeah, I'm not in kind of where I fall on the whole um, scale of inspiration, talent, hard work, motivation. I'm definitely 100% on the end of hard work and motivation. Absolutely. And in terms of, you know, the wider life of, of Daniel, if I can call it that, um, we've mentioned your That's wife. the name of your autobiography, by yeah, the way. Yeah, <laughs> the wider life of Daniel. Um, oh, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> what, what, what else, uh, you know, so if you're dedicated to, you know, five days a week writing, you know, what takes your time the rest of the time? How do you spend that? I'm just pretty normal, socialising, going to the pub, um, going for walks, uh, just general, nothing too crazy. Hopefully now we get plenty of holidays in, maybe the world's opening back up again. Um, but I, it's probably good that this writing's happened to me. Now I'm in my mid-30s, I'm in my mid-20s. Um, I don't know what I would have done with all the time on my hands when I was younger. Well, no, I'm quite kind of disciplined to you know stick to the yeah nine to five working week and then you know, just a, a normal social life. Fantastic. Do you read? I do not as much as I should because you know I try and switch off at the end of the day and then if I start reading, my mind's just going to kick back in again. <laughs> um, so if I do read, it tends to be like sports autobiographies or something different to my genre. Yeah, um, completely. Yeah, but is it, that is probably one of the downsides of if you become you know, a full-time writer, you, kind of, you don't read as much because it's almost the last thing I want to do when I finish writing is pick up a book because then I'll start having ideas for my next book. It's um, like they say, you if know, you marry a chef, you end up eating um, beans box toast. dinners. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can see that, yeah. And uh, yeah. I've got to ask, from a, from a, a sport perspective, have you got a team? Yeah, Manchester United. Oh, Fantastic! No, yes. No. Why get did in. you say that? Get in. Oh god! I thought it, I, I had a feeling it was a fellow. <laughs> so fellow you, red. you yeah. probably know uh, Pogba, uh, Malcolm oh, Weatherford. Um, this is this is Rebecca has Luke that. Shaw. She's uh, tried to learn the Fred. team names and it's not quite worked out. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, you said my wife. Fernando. Fernando. Um, uh, Magnus Greenberg. Yeah. Um, who, who plays it right back? Dave, Dave, the Wamba Wamba Samba. <laughs> <laughs> um, she means no disrespect, but uh... it's, it's, a, it's just when it's on the TV um, <laughs> and I'm pottering around or I'm working and, and you know it sort of filters 
Ronaldo. 75% filters into my brain. Ronaldo. <laughs> Ronaldo Caprio. Right, yeah, Ronaldo Caprio up front. <laughs> it's it's well, quite something. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, so, well, I, 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 I've still got my season ticket, but I haven't gone uh, for since we lost to West Ham. Uh, Which my eldest son supports. Yeah, and so now, oh, okay. yeah, in the, in the Carabao. So uh, my kids take the ticket and, uh, you know, Suffer the, ign- <laughs> the indignity. Yeah, of United I don't think season. you're missing too much at the moment. No, well, it's quite funny because um, my when Manchester United are playing, if my eldest son isn't at home, he'll send me a message and say and ask me whether you're happy or sad. If it's a good result, he says, "Oh, is he happy?" If it's a bad result, he says, "Oh, I bet he's not been in a good mood." <laughs> I've been in a bad mood for weeks. <laughs> it's been diabolical. <laughs> but oh, no, yeah. that's good. Good to know that you're a fellow Red. So the, yeah, even though it's been been a really grisly season <laughs> yeah yeah it's, uh, it's not good but yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's nice time. but yeah yeah, yeah it's not now i'm back up north i can try and get to a few more games but I might yeah things pick up <laughs> yeah I, I mean like as i say the opportunities there but I, you know the combination of covid because frankly going yeah. to those through seventy three thousand people to get to the game is is just like asking for it. But I think you got put off, didn't you? Because you went to a game and then you were ill for with, three weeks. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I did come back with something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but you know, actually, is it worth the grief of dragging yourself up there to to, to watch the sort of I rubbish? Think you're that showing putting... your age. Yeah, I am a bit. Yeah. Uh, I, I can, I can uh, understand. I think we were spoiled, obviously, in our younger years with Ferguson, and yeah. it's never going to get back to that again. So it's, Kind of yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we know, we don't seem to be able to sort of capture the magic. But anyway, let's let's the magic will be back. I promise. Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's time. I think it really is time for Rebecca's random question. Good luck. Okay. Okay. So as I as I indicated earlier, I was inspired by breakfast um, for this question, and we had an omelette for breakfast. So my question to you is: If I give you an egg, how would you eat it? Oh, that is a good question. I was, I had hard boiled the eggs and put them in with a chicken Caesar salad, nice bit of dressing sauce, and maybe a bit of bacon as well. I think that would Ooh. be. Yes. That does sound nice. Yeah. yeah basically, try it. How can I turn something that starts off quite healthy and then start adding as much kind of fat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right that's the sort of thing that i do uh yeah that sounds appealing but uh, so adrian is an omelette expert he's become an omelette expert i think yeah. it's during the first lockdown he would make me an omelette every day and it got better and better each time but it is full of butter and cheese isn't it Your yeah, omelette. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. amazing but... yeah it's cholesterol <laughs> on the plate i mean it really is but yeah i i, I went to the tr- sort of trouble to research how to make an omelette like a chef would and okay. um, it's completely different from anything I'd ever seen done before. The amount of work that goes into actually what's in the pan to get it to that. Yeah. that You're amazing... very proud of your omelette. I am. Yeah. I am very proud of it. He's yeah. going to have an omelette off with my mother at some point. Because <laughs> <laughs> she, I, I told, I was telling her about his omelettes and she said, they're not as good as mine. And I said, sorry, mother, no disrespect, but you need to find out. No, no, no. She said, no, no, I know how to make an omelette. So that I'm going to set up an omelette off. We're going to we'll record see. it for the podcast, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah, I think my engagement to you, Rebecca, might not survive the uh, the experience. I think your mother will take me out if, uh, Ooh, if, if you I better make better. a bad omelette then. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. I can't. It's genetically impossible. Well, that's that's good. No, uh, well, look, 
Daniel, we wish you every success uh, with the year to come. Um, you know, it really is very heartwarming for, for anyone in the indie industry whenever we speak to somebody like yourself who has gone out and proved it and done it and, you know, has followed through on their passion and made a success of it and made a, made a, a career of it. It's fantastic. Thank you. Perhaps one thing I should just mention before I go, if anyone listening to this that maybe thinks indie's not for them and they would rather have a more traditional publisher, I was actually um, approached by a publisher once I'd gone down the indie route and I kind of worked with them um, as well as my indie books. So it is possible to kind of do it yourself and then from that you can go down a more traditional path. Because I understand not everyone wants to do all the marketing, all the covers, all the editing. But, you know, it, indie publishing is a way of getting yourself out there and then you never know what's going to come from that. So it, it, it could lead to all sorts of opportunities. So if there's anyone listening to this thinking about it, just give it a go. That's yeah. very true. And also you can balance the two, can't you? You could have some of your um, your writing published by yourself and some write, uh, published by traditional publishers. You know, this sort of hybrid publishing that they talk about. Yeah, there's, hybrid yeah. Authors, There's yeah. so much more choice open to people who want to write books now than they used to be. No, but I'm sure people listening to this will, will, will take great energy and, 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 um, and hope from it as well it's really fantastic and uh, we wish you every success with all the books that you've no doubt got planned for for 2022 <laughs> yeah thank you good luck with your book as well lovely to speak to daniel hurst always get loads of energy from when you talk to to to, to successful authors um and the thing that strikes me about daniel is that you know it's it's a full-time job i mean you know he treats it's graft it's a lot of hard work there's craft there's a lot of graft. Yeah, I and mean, he's earned this success. That's what he said. He said, "I've just swapped a job for another job, so I have to treat it like that." Yeah, his new book, The Rivals, is out next week, fifteenth. I've so, actually downloaded one of his books onto my um, Kindle app on the phone already, so I'm one over and I haven't even read it yet. But I'm convinced. <laughs> well, we've been looking at that. I haven't got time to read it. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, that's true. I mean, I, I I have just finished reading a submission. Uh, that we had in September and we're continuing to talk to the author concerned yeah. and so uh, I was blown over by it I really loved it um, although you know initially when I first read it the first few chapters I thought mm, I'm not so sure but actually you know it's one of those things whenever you're reading a new author it sometimes takes time to get into the rhythm of it I think the difficulty we have is that we have to get into the rhythm quite fast because we've got mm. so much to read. Mm. But, you know, if we had more leisure, time to do this, we could let things grip well, us. I, I, one of the things that I've changed so, since, you know, the, sort of making some not New Year's resolutions, because I don't believe in them, but just slight alterations is, you know, spending less screen time watching sport or whatever it might be uh, and using that time to read. Mm. So, yeah, and that has... It's opened up a, a you know world of energy and creativity for me. That's good. So that's part of the routine at the minute. And so uh, I'm now working on another of our submissions at the moment. And uh, I, you know, having read the first three chapters, I'm really enjoying. That's good. That's good. And I've I'm about to finish um, Harry Fisher's uh, third book with Hobeck, second book in his series, yep. and um, I love it. It's brilliant. Um, so that'll be publishing in the early summer next this year. Next yes. year, <laughs> this yeah. year. And then I'm going to read a, a submission. Um, yeah, so we have quite a few sort of submissions 
waiting to be read. Yes. And we are we are getting through them. It is taking time, but everyone is being very patient. So. Yeah, because we're reading the whole book, so it's not like we're just sort of skimming through. No, absolutely not. We we devote a lot of. I need to get a you know I want to have a polished and you know powerful ending to the books. So I want to get to the end and feel satisfied mm. before I recommend that you know we take it any further. So, and I am a slow reader. There's, there's no question about it. But it's one of those things where once I got through a sort of about thirty percent on this last one. I could not put it down. No, he couldn't. Being, I was reading 15% here, 15% there, grabbing time. I was, you know, making time to, to read it. So I kept finding you around the house in various locations <laughs> yeah. in different chairs or on the bed or, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. standing in the corridor or something, you know, and, and I'd look and i think, oh, he's reading so-and-so's book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it was great. Um, so other things this week. Well, it's, you know, we've been working, uh, I've been working on the audio, as I've mentioned already, uh, in in getting uh, Malcolm Hollingdrake's Catch catch Count ready to get uploaded. We had a one or two snagettes with uh, getting through the, the, the qualifying process because of the metadata there. I mean, it's the computer said no. Um, it's been a bit of a fiddle, but that's, I think... Well, done. I haven't had the rejection email. No, I will so... double-check, but I think I think we're okay now. But yeah. that was a sort of couple of days of, oh, here we go again. Um, but, you know, these things happen all the time. There's a lot of de-snagging in this business. Oh, yes. And, and I'm really enjoying uh, being back in the world of, of uh, Waking the Tiger with, with Mark Whiteman. So that's a project which I hope to finish by the end of the month. And um, also, uh, you know, I've, I've just been really enjoying getting into... Yeah, what can we do differently? So we've been discussing this a lot in terms of our marketing. And so uh, part of it is that, as we've talked to you before, uh, we're in partnership with Matt J. Holmes, who was a a guest of ours a few weeks ago, um, who has established a great reputation um, as one of the marketing, sort of book marketing um, experts in the UK. And we're broadening that, that connection. So we've been working on that and some special promotion deals for one or two of our authors as well. So... You know, a few things have have, have uh, crystallised this week. Yeah, and we're having a few meetings with our authors as well to sort of touch base with yeah, them. Yeah, and... and map out what we're going to do for the next six months. Mm. Um, you know, because we're all we're all working towards the same thing. We want to get our books, whether it be the, you know from their perspective as authors or indeed as successful publishers, into as many hands as possible, and to build momentum behind Hobeck and them as as authors and. So that's a lot of it. I mean, I had a, a brief break. I've just as I say, I've been driving. I came back from Newcastle um, where I went to watch. Don't pull my hook off the wall. I was using it to cool my finger down. OK, um, I, have, I have some metallic hooks that uh, hold up the headphones when I'm not in here in our studio. But they, can, they have a habit of falling down. Um, yeah, I've been to Newcastle to watch my team or one of them, Cambridge United, beat Man, uh, Newcastle United. Man, Man United. No, no, no. Well, that could be next. Uh, the FA Cup draw is about to be made. Um, and that was extraordinary because, yeah, Cambridge United won. And, you know, let's not forget they're two divisions below Newcastle uh, and not a great team, let's be honest. I've been to see Cambridge a few times in the last two, three years and they've done nothing. Um, and they got promoted last season, but uh, not not any of the games I went to. And, um, yeah, it was an incredible thing. Uh, James Blatch, as I say, from the self-publishing formula, was also in the crowd number of old friends from Cambridge who I didn't bump into but they were there too so that it was a really great family atmosphere 5,000 traveling fans every time we pulled in on our way back who were Cambridge scarves on in all the services it was it was brilliant I took my two boys 
Um, and for James, who's my 17-year-old, uh, it was the greatest game of or occasion of football he's ever been to. And did take, he say that? Yeah, he did. Aww. He was so he... excited. He was just, you know, beside himself with joy, really, mm-hmm. um, as indeed we all were. And uh, again, we, as you know from the podcast, we've been to Newcastle as a family um, on, with your boys. It had the same feeling again. Oh, it's a lovely city. I it's love it. It's great. What a great Saturday I'm night. I'm secretly town. hoping my eldest gets into Durham. Yes. So that we can go to Newcastle. Yes. Absolutely. So if you're listening Durham University. <laughs> yeah, you've got a friend in us. Um, we will happily publish any of your you know, academic <laughs> works. But um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's good. And thank you for lending the car because with only one set of wheels that left you bereft of, of, of transport for the weekend. So I am grateful. Well, actually, it didn't cause... There's only one thing I'd forgotten to account for and that was uh, the youngest golf lesson. But yeah. besides that, we had enough food. We had enough mm. to entertain ourselves with. It was, it was fine. Right. Well, let's um, let's draw things to a close. Oh, one thing we were going to talk about, actually, news-wise, and I just want to congratulate uh, our friend Ian Rankin for his latest book deal uh, with Orion. He's been with them for 30 years. He's mm. just done another two-book extension to that deal for more Rebus books. And guess what? What? It was a seven-figure contract. Was he scooped? Well, he wouldn't have been scooped, would he? No, because, because he was already with them. Yeah, I mean, you know, probably secure. According to to Bookscan, <laughs> he has sold in the UK alone for the, over those thirty years sixty-eight point eight million pounds worth of books. That's a lot of books. Yeah, and a lot of money. Yeah, um, and with all that money, I mean, of course, he spends lavishly on his outfits. He he is the most <laughs> humble. I mean, they're cool trainers. They're cool jeans and they're just a t-shirt. But, you could just, you could but, almost, if you shut your eyes, if I shut my eyes, I can see what he wears. He, he wears look, a t-shirt, a shirt, normal regular shirt, jeans and trainers. He looks like, like Professor Brian Cox, twenty years on. Yes, he does actually. Yes, and he, he enjoys does. a drink and a good natter with his author mates at the festivals, and he's very accessible and whatever. But he's so unassuming. Um, but yeah. I mean, but I don't think he's got sixty-eight million pounds, has he? he no, 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 books, but... no, 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 no. But <laughs> I mean, you know, he's well wealthy enough to be in one of the most exclusive developments in Edinburgh, and buy the flat next door so that he can have a writing flat. <laughs> so he lives in one and goes next door to do the work. Yeah, he's done very well. So uh, congratulations to Ian. Uh, lend us a bob or two, would you, mate? You're round next time you see <laughs> Harrogate. I'll have a G and T, please. Yeah. But we've jabbered on. Well, given that how tired both of us are today, I'm amazed that we found so much to talk about. I know. I'm only tired because I, I ran five kilometres yesterday for the first time in about a month and it killed me. And I stayed up till midnight watching Life of Brian with the youngest child. So I'm quite tired. Yeah. yeah and I climbed 23 flights of stairs yesterday. Newcastle isn't half hilly when you're making your way up from the river. Anyway, um, we digress. Thank you so much for joining us on the Hobcast Book Show. Next week's guest is Mari Chung, who is a first-time author. Uh, we're looking forward to speaking to her. Yeah, so she's published with Bloodhound. So that's terrific. Uh, again, that's somebody we met through. You know, when we had a, a bit of a uh, not crisis, no. but we had a bit of we put we an appeal out. We had a cancellation. Out. Yes, we did, and we had to. Uh, so I put an appeal out for. So we're you know again a bit of a blind date, I suppose. Is, how it will be it. another blind yeah, day. You know, yeah. it's good, but you know that's what we're here for: to talk about books, to talk about how to produce books, how to enjoy Get books, how to write them, and how to market them. 
and love books. So Hobeck Book Show with Mari Chung is next week. And we'll look forward to that. It's episode 52 to come. But thank you for joining us for this one. And thanks again to our wonderful guest. And uh, we will... That's Daniel Hurst, of course. Uh, We will be back next week. So it just remains for me to say, from Adrian Hobart... And from me, Rebecca Collins... Have a wonderful and creative week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.